hypocrisy is something that's levied against anyone that wants to talk about climate change. Oh, well, you go on to this morning to talk about it. Um, where are your clothes from? Are you vegetarian yourself? Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Oh, <laughs> the system is broken, but are you not living in the system? Hello and welcome back to No Books on a Dead Planet, the podcast where we read climate books so you don't have to. Don't bother with that. That's silly. I'm kidding. I'm hoping by the end of this you will be inspired to read a climate book, even if it's not the one we're reading today. I'm welcoming you back for season two and Corrie is our very first guest of season two. Oh, I didn't know I was the first guest. What? Do you know why? Because I have actually recorded some other podcasts, but then I realised that it's going to be like uh, released at the end of October, which is spooky season and you picked the spookiest book on my <laughs> list that you could have picked. So I was like, well, obviously, Cory has to be here for Halloween. <laughs> Good. Well, I hope you all come back after this one. <laughs> Ghoulish and deceased. We're now zombies in this apocalypse. Cory, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. I'm sure that you can summarise all of the things you do on the internet way better than me. So please do for anyone who is audacious enough not to know who you are. Goodness me. I do, I do quite a few things. Things though, don't I? So mm. I've got my podcast, Sci Guys, where we talk about uh, science stuff in a kind of funny and uh, conversational way, and sometimes less funny and more serious. You were on an episode of that, weren't you? I was you guilty were. as charged. It's one of my favorites. I think maybe you should go no and regrets. check that one out. But I also do YouTube videos and other such things. I'm I'm on the internet doing things, you know, as as people are. <laughs> an interdweller. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just and there. I hear that the internet is actually the temperature is fine. So as long as we just exist on the internet. <laughs> I imagine that it's all going to be okay, right? Yeah, right? that's what Mark Zuckerberg said, I think. Right? So that, that should... That, I mean, The Matrix is, is about that, right? That's what The Matrix is yeah. about. Living on the internet and things in the are fine. <laughs> it's going to be totally fine. So what I do with guests when they um, do agree to come on the podcast... What do you do when they don't agree? Of, well... <laughs> We never hear from them again. <laughs> so I'm glad that you chose the right way uh, and you agreed to come on. But I usually give people a few suggestions of books that they might want to buddy read with me. And I have actually suggested this book to several people and they've never picked it. They've all it. said no. <laughs> yeah. And then I knew that you like science and I knew that you're up for like a big debate and you've probably read a lot about it already. So some of it wasn't a surprise to you. So I thought, maybe we'll test Corey. We'll just see. We'll put it in there as a wild card. And you picked it. It seems it genuinely I looked at all of the ones that you sent and then some more as well and this one just it, it spoke to me in a way I don't know it just seemed like something I'd want to read and it very it very much was spoilers it was calling to you um, so the book that we have been reading is The Uninhabitable Earth by David Wallace Wells and it actually came out in 2019 which I thought was really like I was like I swear it's been around for longer than that but I realized it was published on the basis of him writing a really long article that I haven't read uh, in the New Yorker magazine um, in 2017. Mm -hmm. went really viral and it was basically like a nobody is taking this seriously enough mm. long read. I found that, I think, in the little author blurb on the, Ooh, on the inside. On sexy the sexy <laughs> little author picture. What a dashing man. Some He's... people have brains and a jawline. He's, he's very pretty. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I read through most of the book before I had a little look, and I was like, hey, he is quite, Does it he's correlate? quite pretty. Maybe we just don't have enough symmetrical climate scientists. Maybe, maybe the real reason the planet is too hot is people like that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Force tweet or force X, as we have to say now. <laughs> what a world we live in. But yeah, I'd love to know kind of your impression of the book before reading it. But before I 
I jump you into that, I'll tell you what mine was. Yeah. So I was working in publishing at the time when this book came out and it was on every single like book table ever. Like, whenever you walked into Waterstones, it was the book mm. that was everywhere. I was seeing people reading it on the tube. I was seeing posters about it. And I thought that was really unusual because honestly, climate is not that sexy. It really isn't. <laughs> and people yeah. don't want to hear about it. No, people hate it. Even more then than now. I actually think that in the last four years, thing, people are more ready to hear about it. Although it was still... Still not a large percentage. Yeah, I mean, I'd want to agree with you, but then Extinction Rebellion and Just Stop Oil, everyone hates them. Yeah, it's weird, not going well. You know, <laughs> what's it called? It's uh, the when you've got two things in your brain at once and they don't they they don't agree with each other. My life, <laughs> <laughs> the, the condition of living. Uh, oxymoron. Um, no, uh, a... Oh no, I can get it. I can get the people it. People listening are genuinely <laughs> screaming. It's not. I a always forget it. It's not just a contradiction. It's a specific. Um, oh, cognitive dissonance. There's this cognitive, cognitive dissonance. dissonance. Yeah. Sorry. Yes, continue the, with your the impression. Co- please. The cognitive <laughs> dissonance of the bestseller. That was like, why does everybody hate this? But also, obviously, people must be buying this book, and it was selling in mm. droves. So I thought it'd be a really good idea to download it on my Kindle and read it in an airport oh. oh no not on a kindle in an airport oh no so we got 20 percent of the way through then we had a little bit of a meltdown and then i started a series on my channel called positive panic and i can genuinely pinpoint beginning this book as the reason i started talking about climate on the internet that is insane. That is, I can't believe it's this book is so powerful. It's completely insane because I didn't finish it. And it's only <laughs> on your <laughs> push that I have actually returned to this book because this is truly my spooky book. Mm. This is my Halloween read. And it's been that thing that every year I put it on my TBR that's like, this is the year I finished that book. Mm. This is the year. And it's never that year. <laughs> oh my God. It makes sense though. It does make mm. sense. Where did you get to when you first read it? I uh, I think I must have got a couple of chapters in. Each Once you get past the introduction, each other chapter is called An Element of Chaos. Yeah. So each chapter is dedicated to a different element of chaos, including hunger, drowning, disease, uh, flooding, dying oceans. Heat death. So who knows? I don't think I made it to heat death. Really? <laughs> yeah. I think I made it to wildfires. I think I, think I was around that mark, which is... Not as far as one would hope, but I was going to Iceland. Oh, Lord. <laughs> On a work trip. It wasn't even optional. I had to go. I'm going to be I, honest. You're so lucky that you managed to, I that know, you stopped when you did. No, I'm not even, you, when you stopped when you did, because there was a, there's a statistic slightly later on, I think, mm-hmm. that would have really destroyed you. Yeah. The one about how much. How much ice depletes from a single flight? Yeah, it's really bad. Yeah, it's, it's, not not good. Good. it's not good. It's not <laughs> good. Have you ever heard about ghost flights? Oh yes, yes. <laughs> so that yes, makes yes, me yes, feel yes. even more like sweaty. Ghost flights, for those of you who don't know, are all of the flights. I think there's like ten thousand a year that leave just from Britain alone. I'll correct that in the show notes if that's not correct. But it's it's around that number that are completely empty. Yeah. Nobody's going on. Nobody's having fun. Nobody's forming alliances with other nations. Nobody's having good experiences. They're just empty flights if you're mad at taylor swift you should be more mad at (laughs) and i'm not saying don't be mad at taylor swift be mad at taylor swift and Mm. these ghost flights but yeah no it's the problem is bigger than we're led to believe i have a really slow like very fast (laughs) sorry a very fast interjection with that i was thinking about taylor swift recently (laughs) as one must if you go on your homepage Mm. as a woman um she flies everywhere right yeah. But her fans are so dedicated that if she didn't fly to them, they would definitely fly to her. 
Yeah. So is it actually more efficient that we're moving our pop stars around a lot? Do I sound like a boomer when no, I say no, I pop understand. stars? I, I understand <laughs> you. pop stars. That's a word. She's a pop. <laughs> but no, I actually, controversial opinion. I I do love Taylor Swift's music. Great. I don't think she... You could, you could see her uh, her, <laughs> her album oh behind you there. Lo- Lover is looking at me. Oh, it is. In record form, no less. I found out... I'm not in. I, I'm not a Swifty. I, oh, I don't wow. engage in fandom. So I found out that apparently that's one of the least enjoyed albums. Oh my God, I love that album. That's one of the ones I like. I only one. like that one and 1989. Really? Wow. Father forgive. We should talk about this at yeah, another this time. Be- <laughs> but no, um- <laughs> we'll do a spin-off episode <laughs> called Swifties for Climate. <laughs> I do. I, you know, I think it's interesting, right? It's an interesting thought. Um, is, it, is it more impactful for all of her fans to be traveling or mm. for her? And yeah, that does make sense. But also she uses a, she uses her plane for things that she doesn't need to use her plane for. for that's, I think that's the issue. Um, and she lands out her plane to other yeah. people. And it is a problem. Don't get me wrong. I, I think private planes, certainly a problem. But there are also many more problems that are much bigger and I feel perhaps sexism and this sort of um, online leftism Mm -hmm. really gets people into wanting to point fingers at people like Taylor Swift and say haha this this person that you love this celebrity she's actually evil and the enemy too and sure in a way yeah but Taylor Swift also isn't you know responsible for everything else that's going on that is much bigger in scale as discussed mm. in the book brought it <laughs> the back segue back oh the you know it but we made it <laughs> that's why you're a professional podcaster um <laughs> yeah no i think i think that there's a lot of a lot of things going on there i'd love to know a little bit about your relationship to science in like that isn't mine because my relationship mm-hmm. to science tends to be I'm not science. I can't science. That's scary. And I, I like it, it kind of um, it often intimidates me reading books like this just because I feel like intellectually I won't be able to grasp it. With this book, I just about did. <laughs> but there were parts of it that I was like, I don't really know what's going on, but I'm sure it's going to be fine. Um, but I think one of the like overarching things I took away from this book and in a kind of good stoic way mm. was how small I am and how hard facts are to comprehend when they're huge. And especially like the scale of some of the facts that you yeah. find in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that you struggle with or do you think because you read a lot of science anyway, some of it was like, I've already felt like a very small speck in this universe. I already feel, you know. You know, I think it's interesting, right? Because this book for me was initially horrifying mm-hmm. and then kind of cathartic a little bit towards the end because I don't think there was anything new in it for me. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there was definitely, there was, there was information, there were uh, statistics that I had not heard before. Um, my understanding of the climate situation we find ourselves in now has deepened um, quite quite a bit. But yeah, no, having the sort of background I've got, I kind of go into these things knowing that I don't know. You know what I mean? Knowing that, oh, well, I'm probably not going to understand everything and that's fine. But I have this sort of drive to try to learn as much as I can. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't really feel intimidated going into something like this. I feel kind of excited because if I don't understand something, I'm just going to sit and work at it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm really going to sit and try and figure it out. But no, this 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 one, um, I feel like it wasn't terribly heavy on the science. It was, it was more, here is what scientists are saying about how this is going to affect everyone. There were a lot of numbers um, and sort of just, just data, like very sort of, I guess, visceral things being thrown at you. Um, so I guess from my perspective, probably because I'm so entrenched in like, 
reading about science things all the time it didn't feel super sciencey to me do you know what i mean yeah definitely and i think i'd kind of misunderstood the premise a little bit from and i think because the blurb's a little bit misleading but on page 35 which is quite far into the book he does say like the, this is what the point of the book is mm, yeah. <laughs> which again i was like okay now i understand it the first bit was a bit confusing but he said we have all already left behind the narrow window of environmental conditions that allow human animals to evolve in the first place but not just evolve that window has enclosed everything we remember as history and value as progress and study as politics what it will mean to live outside of that window probably quite far outside it that reckoning is the subject of this book so it's more about Mm. what the science means for us in a practical way than it is explaining exactly how it works yeah absolutely um, but it was still really interesting. I I was I want to bring up a silly point before we talk about mm. some more serious things because you said there was nothing surprising in this book. I want to know if you knew this, <laughs> which is my favourite part of the whole book, which is about farting. Do you remember this part? Okay. There, there were n- hold on, because I want to say there were a number of parts that spoke about different kinds of fart. Are you talking? Go go on. Oh, I've missed the other farting bits. Anyway, this one was about how um, hydrogen sulfide mm. is being released in loads of loads of horrible places. Uh, not the places aren't horrible. Oh yes, the places have been made horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the hydrogen sulfide, and there's a particular part about the Gulf of Mexico and just off Namibia, uh, which is ruining the coast mm. essentially. And then it, it gives you a fun fact, which is um, hydrogen sulfide is also one of the things scientists suspect finally capped the end per mina extinction once all the feedback loops had been triggered. Which is why they think our noses are so exquisitely skilled at registering flatulence. <laughs> so that smell of farting is it potentially mm. so um, genetically built into us that it smells like extinction because that is literally what the last extinction smelled like. That makes- is that what I'm getting? Is that what I'm reading here? What I read that as was this is a chemical that mm. is, you know, um, related to dangerous things. And it's so that's why it smells bad to us. And that's the same chemical that's in this. But yeah, I mean, generally, yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, so when I said I didn't find anything surprising, I want to be clear here. <laughs> there were a number of things I didn't know in this um, and a number of things I didn't know specifically. What I mean is that I've not come away from it with my overall view changed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. There was nothing... there's, there's nothing inherent about the farting that is going to change <laughs> your whole life. It's changed my life, but maybe I think about it more than you do. <laughs> That's true. Oh, and I realised there aren't other farting bits. I was talking about burps. There's a lot of uh, sort of body... Body leakage. Body things going on in this book, mm. but um, not related to people all that often, <laughs> surprisingly. <laughs> not too much. I'd love to hear, I've got loads of things to pull out that I'd love to mm. talk about, but I'd love to hear generally, because because we were talking about you finishing the end of the book and you were like, I've got so many thoughts. Yes. And I'd love to know some of those just initially, because I feel like I've got questions to ask, but I'm not going to be able to guess what they are. I'd mm. rather just skip to the juicy, what did you want to say? No, good, because I've got a couple of things to okay. say. So, I mean... Ultimately, the experience of reading this book was really interesting for me because at the time uh, we were going through, I wouldn't call it a heat wave. I don't think it was technically a heat wave, but in London, it was really hot. It was over 30 degrees, multiple days in a row, lasting all the way into the evening. Some of the time I had to go out. So I was on the tube reading this book whilst experiencing what the book was telling me was going to happen. And it's one of those experiences wherein, you know, 10 years ago, I was I was 15. We were being told about climate change as a thing that was happening in the future. We were being taught about acid rain and how we were, we'd basically kind of solved it. We've got all this renewable energy that we need to figure out. Um, And 10 years later, we figure out a lot of it. But we're in a worse position than we were then, and it's not getting better. And if I go back to when I was almost five years old, you know, sort of starting school, like 20 years ago, right? Climate change was a thing 
of sort of the present, but really kind of the future. And it's like, oh, it's going to be in a while, but we can sort it now. We figured out the CFCs, we fixed the ozone, you know, it, all of that sort of stuff. And this book really, I think, sort of captures that experience of we have been, our, our relationship with climate change has changed sort of so much in the past 20, 30, 40 years, but in a way where it's almost difficult to even recognize it. You know, um, and and this is something that's been really thrown into stark contrast with me, um, wherein, you know, London goes through heat waves, people die and Americans make fun of British people for not having air conditioning. And I'm, I'm sat here thinking, you guys are laughing at climate change deaths. Mm. That's what's happening. You know, people are dying because of climate change and you're laughing at it. When we, when we, you know, if we, we think back to 10 years ago, what would have happened? Like, what's going to happen when climate change starts affecting people? We don't need to think about that, what's going to happen anymore, because it is affecting people. And how we react to it is just by treating it as a normal thing, as a, as, oh, you were stupid to have done that, weren't you? Uh, silly Brits can't deal with the heat. But then Texans dying from a bit of snow because their uh, their infrastructure isn't built to sort of, you know, withstand it. It should be, um, you know, because, you know, we knew this was coming and it ultimately comes down to the Texas government sort of being pretty bloody terrible. But still, it is climate change that is causing that sort of thing. So reading this book whilst experiencing sort of, you know, the effects of climate change was so weird and interesting. And in a number of ways, despite the fact that this was written in 2019, it almost felt like it was written specifically for me right now. Um, even at the end, when it starts talking about Oppenheimer, and, you know, I'm like, well, the Oppenheimer film just came out, and he's talking about pandemics, you know, and how a pandemic could end up taking over the world. And I'm like, I know this was written before. I know it was written before, because the way that people spoke about pandemics in 2019, and luckily the first two months of 2020, you know, was radically different than how we speak about them now, mm. because before... They were hypotheticals, yeah. the same as climate change was. It's this is something that could happen, and then we live through a world-changing event that has unforeseen impacts and such sort of deep and far-reaching sort of you know um, effects on everyone on the planet. And suddenly, we can't think of a pandemic as just being a story anymore. We can't go and watch Contagion with Matt Damon and be like, oh, this is something that could happen. No, we know what happens during a pandemic. We know what happens when it comes to climate change. And it, despite this being, you know, four years old, it weirdly brings up so many things that are incredibly relevant right now, um, you know, for everyone, but also specifically for me, just in the weird little references that are made, it feel it felt really connected to the present moment um, in, a, in an almost um, prescient way. It was really, really weird sort of getting through that. I really did enjoy it. I wasn't enjoying it to begin with, to be honest with you. Those, those first sort of chapters of just throwing every horrible statistic yeah. at you without any real sort of um, analysis, ultimately. Mm -hmm. It's just this is it, and here's on to the next horrible thing, and here's on to the next horrible thing. I was like, Lena, have you got, what have you got me into? This, <laughs> what have you done you're to me? You're single-handedly fueling depression. I, I would, I would um, love a randomized version of this book where mm. you could just like press a button and it would give you a different chapter because I feel mm -hmm. like maybe out of order it would have been a calmer experience, and I do agree that the, the bad news is condensed into a, a part, and may, that is probably why I stopped reading. Yeah, no, I, I, it makes sense. <laughs> 
it makes yeah. sense. Yeah, and I think that's why it's interesting as well. Like, I, I actually made me feel good knowing that I would be speaking to you at the end of it because I was like, somebody will have read this book at the same time as me, and we'll be able to have the same freakouts at the mm-hmm. same time. Because I don't know if if you have this, but I often still struggle. And one of the reasons I made this podcast is I struggle to have conversations with people about it. Mm. And often I'll be reading a book and want to talk to the people around me. I'm reading, like, I want to talk yeah. to them about what I'm reading. But when it came to this book, I was like, I'm going to ruin anybody I talk to about this book. I'm going to ruin their day. Yeah. Like, yeah. do I want to be responsible ultimately for ruining somebody's day? My day's ruined. <laughs> yeah, I had that conversation just this morning. Oh, so I was really. talking about it. And, you know, I was talking um, to Noah. Noah mm. Finst, if you if you know who that is. Oh. Never um, heard of him. No? Good. He's terrible. <laughs> uh, no, so I was, chatting with, I was chatting with Noah and, you know, um, he was like, look, I, I'm a, I, I feel strongly about this climate stuff, but also I don't know that much about it it's kind of like a, it's a blind spot for him a little bit mm. in that you know he's aware it's just not one of the things that he's looking deeply into which makes sense because there are so many problems that we're having to deal with right now that you do sometimes kind of have to pick and choose um which things you throw yourself wholeheartedly into uh, but i said look i mean this would help you understand the scale of it because that was something he said he struggled with he's like i i just can't personally understand the scale i know it's big mm. but on that person i i just don't it doesn't it can't connect with me i just don't get it and he makes efforts to be sort of you know climate conscious and whatnot but more intellectually i think rather than that sort of emotionally yeah Yeah. and i said this book will probably change that for you this book will make you under make you understand uh, just in the way that you know it's not just saying huge numbers of people it starts putting those numbers into perspective um and not just in ways you know that uh, i would understand in ways that other people might understand it in not to say that I would, <laughs> I don't put that. Not to say that I understand better than anyone else, but just there are uh, different ways that people understand things, and it hits on a number of those different ways. You know, it says, you know, here's the economic sort of cost of this. Here's the human cost of this. Here's the sort of social cost. There's all these different sort of, um, I guess, measures for uh, the effect of climate change here. But ultimately, what I said uh, to Noah was, you can read this. You will understand it. I'm not giving you this book, and I'm not going to tell you what's in it. Because I don't, I don't want to do that to you. You don't deserve that <laughs> you have to right do it now. To yourself. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just like, mm. you know, you where you're at right now, um, like where, where he's at right now of, you know, making the effort. And if I have the knowledge, that's fine. Do you mm. know what I mean? If you want to, if you, if you want to set aside, if you want to set aside, you know, the other social problems that we're dealing with right now, like transphobia in the UK and you know, sort of um, rising authoritarianism and all of that sort of stuff. If you want to put that on the back burner for a second and dive into the into climate, go ahead and do that. But honestly, it's a lot. It's a lot to sort of carry with you. And I want to recommend this book to people, but also, like. It's, it's all, I don't. Do you know what I mean? It's it's almost like Rocco's Basilisk, right? Where wherein just the knowledge itself feels harmful. And ultimately, yes, people should read this book. I'm being very emotional and silly when I say I don't know how if I want to recommend this book to people. People should read it, but like also, it feels bad to recommend it. It yeah. feels genuinely like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you know? it feels like it should be kind of a team sport, not something kind of like you shouldn't go rock climbing on your own. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, no, you're absolutely. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Don't just jump into that alone. And I think as well, like it's interesting when we think about like how it, how what we know informs all of our 
decisions and what we think about because I feel like for me it's also like knowing this kind of stuff and reading the books that I have does inform the way I think mm. and that is a humbling experience to think that oh like I think I spent a lot of my 20s being like what are my ambitions like I want to hit my best self mm. and, and this knowing this kind of information makes you think actually I don't really care about my best self as mm. much as I used to in a, in a kind of got a quite a healthy stoic kind of way you're just yeah. like actually I might not I might spend all of my time reaching my best self or doing my own goals or thinking about like stuff that's right in front of me that's very obvious and I might not get to fulfill it if I don't also focus on this which yeah. is again very dark yeah. but I'm like I could become the best novelist of all time but and like be good enough to win uh, a Nobel Prize but if I get to 90 and I'm an amazing novelist and there isn't a Nobel Prize to get what's, no, exactly. what's the point? What's the point? <laughs> I think you mentioned earlier that the sort of feeling of being very small mm. uh, kind of came up when you were reading this book and I agree but that's not a super new feeling for me. I'm not sure if you said it was like sort of new for you with this book. I feel I don't like know. it is a little bit. Or this definitely shrunk my idea of myself. Right. Well, especially because it's one of the first climate books I've read that also talks about the context of the whole universe. Yes, it and does. And how long history has been as well. Mm -hmm. That 95% of human history is called prehistory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and we're only living in the 5%. Like stuff like that. That was like, what? No, yeah. We've been around so, yeah, for, what for was me. it? 200,000 years. And the past, was it maybe was it 10 50,000 up to that rough amount was you know um was recorded and mm -hmm. we only we think we only really think about recorded history we don't value anything else you know our hunter gatherer ancestors who you know we think oh they were struggling to survive blah 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 but what is it i think there was it, it mentioned in the book that in some places in the world because of malnutrition and whatnot people are shorter and not living as healthily as our, you know, hunter-gatherer ancestors might have. Yeah. Um, which, you know, we, we really put sort of a lot of focus on the present. You mm -hmm. know, whatever our conditions are now, we just see those as sort of standard. The status quo, this is how it should be. And when you think about the sort of difficulties that people faced, you know, before modern times, before really what we call civilization, we see that as undesirable. But in a way... It, it almost isn't, right? Like, I know there's plenty of people that would probably rather be a hunter-gatherer and, you know, sort of enjoy their lives sort of like hunting and gathering and being in a community and doing all of these things. And yes, there's difficulties. And yes, you're sort of working to survive. But, you know, um, you don't have X, you know, Twitter. You don't yeah. have social media. You don't have all of these problems that we have now um, that are born out of these big societies. In some ways, that is sort of, you know, uh, desirable. But in other ways, it isn't. You know, it's all I'm saying here is that um, it's not as easy as saying what we have now is the best and what was back then is the worst. There are some things we could learn from that sort of um, previous model of, I guess, pre-society. But what I was going to say about feeling small is that I really like feeling small. Like feeling small in the universe to me is beautiful. I really, really love the idea of sort of looking at the grand scale of the universe and realizing that nothing matters mm. and finding joy in it anyway. You know, it's very, um, I guess, everything everywhere all at once, really, if you want to, you know, find a piece of media like a, you know, that sort of encapsulates that idea. I think that does it brilliantly. You know, this sort of like uh, taking this sort of cosmic nihilism and turning it somehow into optimism. What is the meaning of life? There is no meaning. So it means you can find your own meaning, you know? It's kind of touched on, that's kind of touched on in the book there in an interesting way where it's like, well, what, 
matters? You know, why should we um, try and protect species? Does it matter that, you know, uh, humanity dies out and, you know, the earth continues on and then maybe some other species, uh, species, you know, years, thousands of years, millions of years down the line starts to evolve and develop? We are a speck, smaller than a speck, a speck on a speck. What we do ultimately doesn't matter. And, you know, you kind of bring up questions of should it matter? And my answer to that is, well, human experience is all we've got. You know, it doesn't matter. No. But does that mean we could just withdraw from society and just let what happens happen? Nah. Nah. Nah, nah, nah. Our experience is all we've got. It doesn't matter universally. But when has that ever been... When has that ever been an issue? When has that ever actually meant anything? You know, we can give meaning to whatever we want. You know, mm-hmm. we draw on cave walls, you know, with paints and whatnot and make weird shapes that don't actually look like anything. But we give those things meaning. And I think you can expand that out into the entirety of the human experience. Yeah, no, human life doesn't mean anything, but we probably should try and, you know, save the planet a bit because human experience is nice to have sometimes when things are good. Yeah, I you know? think you really run out of actions if you try to justify your actions by saying they have like some kind of cosmic yeah. <laughs> meaning. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Then you, you end up doing nothing. No, absolutely. <laughs> like, it's, and it's kind of, I think it's interesting as well because I've I've been thinking a lot about, I had a bit of a, like a, we'll, we'll talk about this later, but I had a bit of a near-death experience last year. Oh and in some ways it was really horrible, but in some ways I actually feel like maybe on a level I'm a happier person because I feel like, I'm like, this is stolen time. Wow. <laughs> I could do anything. I'm, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm, having like is the point of my life isn't to achieve things it's to enjoy achieving things if I want to or just uh, failing that enjoyment and sometimes I think about like why I don't have kids I don't really want to have kids but I do have close close children (laughs) I know what you mean we're gonna look for a different phrase I have been trying I have been trying to find a different phrase for that exact phenomenon for so long and there isn't one I have I am a stand-in auntie or actually as he refers to me Uncle Cat Cat, which I, I think is a great like me? understanding of gender where he's like, you you act like an uncle, so you are an uncle. And I'm like, I receive that. Anyway, I have, there were, there were like, I, anyway, the point is, there are some toddlers that I really care about mm. in a parental lovely way. And I think about their future and I think like, I'm not saving, I don't re- feel like I'm going to save the world on my own or at all. But if I am trying to do anything, I want them to experience as much fun in their life as I have had in mine mm. for the whole point of it being fun and funny and lovely. And it makes me sad to think that they won't be able to experience that. So if anything, it's just the fun continuum. Mm. I would like to, do you know what I mean? I'd like to no, pass that you. on for as long as possible. Absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. it's a lot of it will be out of my hands. <laughs> and that's, that is okay. Yeah. I think partly the reason I think a lot of people would be scared to read this book in particular, but perhaps any book on the climate, is because you kind of, you feel like it's less stressful to not know. And I feel like it comes to a point where it's actually more stressful not to know. And for me, reading a lot of these climate books has been cathartic, like you've said, just because it's kind of like a tell it to me straight doc kind of moment of like, this is the, I just want to know what the diagnosis is. I'd rather know as much as possible so I can prepare myself and feel like I'm a participant in this Mm. rather than being in denial and, and not thinking about it. Yeah, I get I get where you're coming from with that. You know, as I said, sort of this book, I don't think it didn't drastically change my outlook at all. Mm. Um, all it's done, I think, is make me angrier. Mm. I, 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 you know, I, the sort of level of knowledge I, I had on climate change was 
decent you know I, i've done some reading on it for for my podcast and mm. things you've got but, a great episode on sci guys oh, thank you very and much and one on veganism we do have one of do you know what we've probably got um a new uh oh. climate change episode coming out soon Saucy. as well anyway yeah i know yeah. so uh, but no i mean what i mean to say is that you know i i've maybe been a bit more well-read than your average person on it but certainly i wouldn't say like nowhere near sort of you nowhere near anyone that really like sort of looks into it um but the level of information i had led me to we are kind of screwed we have this massive problem that we're that's staring us in the face and we have all of the solutions but we don't want to use them mm. and it's felt that way for a while and ultimately Finding out more about this, it doesn't make me any more scared. It doesn't make me, um, you know, feel any worse or better about the situation we're in because nothing really seems to change. Ultimately, it, it seems that we're in a situation wherein, you know, we know what the problem is. Things are getting worse. We have solutions. We don't want to use those solutions. And ultimately, the only way that um, an individual can make a difference is if they come together with other individuals and force, you know, corporations and governments and whatnot to make the lasting changes that we need to make. Mm. So I, I don't know. I feel like um, I, I can't feel worse or better because there is no worse or better for me. You know, I know that the human race is probably not going to die out. And even if it does, it's not a big deal. Who cares? W whatever. You know, uh, worst case scenario in my mind is... The world becomes unlivable, you know, the population is drastically decreased, and then we pick up the pieces and carry on like we always do. But I don't want that to happen. Mm. So, you know, I've I've hit my I've hit my limit on on bad, right? I, I've I've hit my limit on bad. I can't feel any worse about this situation than I already do. I can just feel angrier knowing that it's getting worse and worse and worse, and knowing, you know, more about even the sort of history of it, um, and all of these sorts of uh, disasters that sort of the background noise of my sort of adolescence and early 20s, those were all very much due to climate change. And we knew they were all due to climate change. But for me, it didn't feel that way. Because, you know, well, hurricanes are a normal thing. How am I supposed to know that if, you know, if you're in your 40s or 50s or 60s, hurricanes have, dra like, have dramatically increased um, in severity and in frequency. How am I supposed I'm, I wouldn't know that because, you know, when they were, like, when it was, they were less frequent, I was five years old. Mm. I wasn't reading the news. So it's given me, you know, more, I think, rage, really, just by seeing, you know, how much we knew about this problem and how many solutions we had to it and how not just how much how little has been done to solve it but how much has actively been done to make it worse in that time mm. but yeah no i mean you know i it, when it comes to recommending this book i would definitely say you know i if if you're aware of sort of what's going on i don't think it can make you feel worse i, I don't yeah, think it can make I, you feel I'd worse yeah i agree with that i don't think I, I felt more informed but i didn't feel worse and i think also like the the argument for not feel not reading a book like this because it's going to make you feel bad is a, a weird one I think because like you said even though you don't want to recommend it to people it's like you're going to encounter other people's anger about this mm. like you're going to feel angry if you read it but you're also going to I think a lot of the kind of pushback against Just Stop Oil and a lot of people also not really understanding colonialism and stuff like one of the facts in the book was that 25% um, of all of the climate impact is going to be in in, in India mm. <laughs> they're going to have to they're going to have to absorb 25% of the whole world's climate impact that's enraging and you are going to encounter people in your life who are going to be very angry 
angry about that. And I think that not knowing that is going to give you a weird context for encountering other people's anger. Mm. Um, So I think it's useful in in that way as well. And I, yeah, but I, I, I know that there was, there were a few things in this book that were really hard to hear that like he thinks Mm -hmm. that it's going to be impossible to keep like the world temperature below two. That's bad. Probably Uh, 3.5. That's very bad news. I mean, I was going to say, because the the Paris Agreement, which, again, is just a little bit more than background noise for me, Mm. two has always been the number. Mm. And for about as long as that has been the number, I've been hearing, yeah, we're not going to, we're not going to, we're exceeding that. Like every single news story is we're going to exceed that. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, but there were some really um, sort of interesting uh, statistics that hit me. For example, one that I feel like I should have known, but I I didn't, was that by mass, I think 96% of the biomass on the planet is humans and their livestock. Yeah. The animals. livestock is like huge. I, I, I'm aware that like we've got a ton of livestock. Obviously, I understand, you know, the concept of having to have that amount of sort of biomass to feed, you know, people. You need to have way more sheep than you have people to keep people alive, right? Mm. That's just that's just how it works. Learned that in high school. But the actual I think it's ninety-six to four. Ninety-six percent of of <laughs> biomass, I think, of the animals on the planet are for humans and 4% are wild. And I don't even know if that 4% is including feral animals, which aren't even wild, you know, like pigeons. Oh, do you know how there are pigeons everywhere on the planet? That's because we use pigeons for eating and for sending messages and as pets. And then we decided now we don't want them and now they're pests everywhere. Rats came along in ships. We've got fancy rats because rats are great pets. And now they're pests everywhere, like everywhere on the planet. You know, we have had such an insane impact. Rabbits in the UK? <laughs> no, rabbits aren't endemic to the UK. No they're not way. supposed to be from here. They're an invasive species. Um, Gray squirrels, also invasive. There are so many species everywhere on the planet that should not bloody be there um, or would not, well, I say should not, that would not be there were it not for human activity. And, mm. you know, yes, I, I'm that, that's fine, I think. You know, we are animals. I don't think thinking of ourselves as better or greater than the other species on the planet is terribly useful. The weird morality we have about, oh, well, we need to save the panda because, you know, it's because of us it's dying out. We need to save this. We need to save that. We don't need to save every species. Some of them are going to go extinct anyway. Um, I think it is pretty damning how many species have gone extinct, you know, um, since the sort of industrial revolution. Absolutely. That's mm. um, that's something I think we need to pay attention to and try to mitigate, not out of some sort of moral, you know, obligation to um, leave no trace, but just out of, you know... Um, that is a sign of us destroying the planet that we live on mm. and you know decimating these species it sucks for us like it, it sucks ultimately in the grand scheme of things it doesn't matter whether future generations get to look at you know dolphins or get to look at polar bears and zoos or whatever like ultimately that doesn't matter that's not why i think it's important um i would like to see a world where all of these creatures um can exist and we can have this sort of a diver- diversity of life that we have because I studied biology and I find it really cool and interesting. I think it's great, but ultimately, um, it, it doesn't. It doesn't hold any real moral weight for me. It's it's more a case of we shouldn't be destroying the planet um, in the way that we are, especially like at all. But especially when it's not really benefiting the planet, you know, mm. as in it's not benefiting the population. Um, there's a very select few that it's benefiting, um, 
and that's it. Everyone yeah. else is worse off. If we were all having fun, yeah, if we were then all maybe fun, yeah. I could defend. Do you know what I mean? Like, look, let's go out with a bang. But it doesn't seem yeah. like anybody's having no. fun. And, yeah. And for a vegan, that might be a crazy thing to say that, oh, I, I don't think it morally means anything if species go extinct. But mm. like... I think it sounds like as well, like I, um, maybe I'm remembering your vegan episode wrong, but I've, I feel like you talked a lot about the reduction of suffering. And I feel like mm. with that, it's like species decline on a symbolic, moral, nostalgic level doesn't really matter. Mm. But on an individual dolphin to dolphin level, sounds like they're suffering. So again, it's that... Yeah, I mean, Could you I say that. Yeah, no, I guess, I guess that does. For me, it's difficult, right, when it comes to wild animals in that sense, because I wouldn't even say nature is cruel. I would just say nature is nature. You yeah, know? it's morally neutral. Absolutely, you know. Um, so, yes, I think we should maybe lessen our impact and not cause undue suffering, but. There is a limit to it. Do you know what I mean? There are animals that are going to die um, because of human activity in the same way that there are animals that are going to die because of beavers building dams and whatnot. Um, I, I don't think it should be on the scale that we've got it on now. And yeah, I know I do agree with you that like, we want to limit that suffering. There is a level that I would say is acceptable, um, you know, if it's incidental and, you know, not causing great harm to, you know, environment, food webs or, you know, species as a whole. Fine. But yeah, no, I mean... The suffering that we're causing is incomprehensible. Mm. I, I mean, truly mean incomprehensible. Like, I'm looking at these numbers and I'm like, this is so big, my brain... Nope. <laughs> Eject. Uh, it's like, gone. Yeah, it's too big. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. And I think um, something... There, there were there's some comforting parts of it for me, um, included, like, kind of talking about how we think about capitalism causing the climate crisis, but also the climate crisis is a threat to capitalism. Like... If this continues, capitalism also has to end <laughs> at some mm. point. And he's like, there will be trade, but will there be capitalism? I don't know. And I was like, I would love to believe that, Dave. <laughs> Dave, I'd well, love that to be true. I don't know if it would be. Well, capitalists will tell you it wouldn't be because capitalism, um, if anyone doesn't natural, know this, capitalism hashtag. is the natural. Yeah, capitalism is the natural order of things. I'm joking. Good Lord, that felt disgusting <laughs> coming sense. from me. Yeah, no. Um, I, I, I did. I did think that was an interesting sort of uh, look there. I mean, ultimately, yes, it probably would destroy capitalism purely through destroying civilization. You know, it, it's mm. going to destroy basically every economic system we've got um, because they're not going to be able. You you can't have any um, any of the current economic systems that exist in a world wherein the population is tiny and disconnected and you know constantly dealing with I, I don't even want to say natural disasters because that's another thing that this book has sort of given to me is the knowledge that natural disasters uh, as we sort of maybe conceived of them 10 years ago 15 years ago are so common now that uh, this is something that came up quite a few times is that in the future they may as well just be called weather you know they may even be considered weather which i don't even need to sort of speculate about that because again reading it now that is the case it's 31 degrees in london in september and it, it's hot but it's weather it's just yeah. weather there was a heat wave last year 40 degrees you know Maybe it wasn't technically a heat wave because there's a specific sort of um, number of days and temperature above that it needs to be for a heat wave. But regardless, it was 40 degrees in London and it was too hot. It was too much. And yeah, it was mostly just seen as weather. In fact, people were kind of, there, there, was, there were whole sort of um, issues arising out of people talking about climate change during this saying, oh no, you should just go out and enjoy the sun. <laughs> it's, it's so strange to read a book say this could be happening in by 2100 and be in 2023 
and have that be my experience already. Yeah. It, it's so odd. And it's odd uh, to me as well that like um, it's kind of like in a weird way nice to hear you get angry about it mm. <laughs> because I'm like sanity mm. <laughs> you know what I mean I think we don't we have a very disproportionate relationship with our own anger about it and mm-hmm. I think that's like really interesting and I think also like when you I was just reminded me of a part in the book when you're talking about the heat because I didn't realize and the other things I didn't realize is that a lot of heat is is related to our idea of productivity so apparently 13 degrees celsius is when we're most productive mm-hmm. and anything higher than that our brains start to malfunction a little bit and really struggle to actually think clearly mm-hmm. so actually the earlier I was like the earlier I read this book, the more like this is the most likely I am to be able to understand this book because this is the coolest my brain yeah. is gonna be. Some of the I, 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 the science in me, right? The science, mm-hmm. the science boy in me, read some of those things, and I guess I was kind of confused and interested as to what was meant by it. So yeah, the thirteen, an average temperature of thirteen degrees is sort of I think the peak for productivity, which mm-hmm. is what the US was at the time of writing, so probably around 2018, 2019. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm, I'm curious, I was curious as to whether some of those were related to other factors. Do you know what I mean? So as temperature increases, does that then have an impact on, uh, you know, something else that then means that people work, uh, can't work, uh, can't be as productive, you know? Ultimately, it doesn't make a huge difference, but it, it's whether it's direct temperature that causes those things or mm. whether all of the other sort of factors that come with that that cause it but it was really it was really interesting to me seeing all this stuff where like oh yeah I mean and it makes sense because you know personally during that sort of I wouldn't even say heat wave during that little hot moment in September I spent three days basically unable to work it was too hot in my house I, I couldn't mm. think I was waking up dehydrated even if I drank bef- like a ton before going to bed and I, I just got very little done during the day because it, it was it was genuinely just too hot to work mm. you know um, and we don't have the infrastructure for it, ultimately. We, we really yeah. don't. You know, there's air conditioning in public buildings, usually, sure. But homes don't have that luxury. And they're not. it's not as cheap to get a, an AC system here as it is in the US. And mm. also, we're currently dealing with an energy crisis as well, which means we that... We can't be putting on any... We can't be switching on any more lights or any exactly. more machinery. We're maxed out. Fairy lights are battery-powered in my house. Right, yeah. We can't be doing that. And another interesting thing about just thinking about the impact of it on our brains as well, and I think that's why sometimes I hear people say, oh, but we're in the UK, we'll be insulated from it. And I'm like, I will. I cannot be operating, even if, even if you are inherently selfish and inherently Tory and just thinking of yourself I'm like I would like you to protect your brain and this is what is Mm. and I think as well it's the same with like there was really interesting stuff about the impact of air pollution and it also talks about the links the links like to your memory your attention your vocabulary and it's also been linked to ADHD autism Alzheimer's all of those kind Mm -hmm. of things which I'm like I'd be really interested to read a paper on that uh, woe betide I actually go to the notes and read read the, read his sources yeah. maybe I will maybe this will be my time but I did think that was really interesting and this idea that actually in loads of ways we are living in this 5% of history mm-hmm. and I'm like there's so many problems we're encountering that actually might all be linked to the climate and again we think about oh I, I don't have time to think about the climate because I'm working on this issue or I've picked this issue and I'm like but what if mm. conspiracy theory they're all related yes. <laughs> what if we're all fighting the same beast right and we need to cut him off at the source. No, absolutely. This it's is a Jabberwocky. Oh gosh, don't don't you get back into that. No, you know, I, just to touch on what you were saying about the sort of notes, I, I want to say I love the notes in this book. I, I genuinely love how, how they're sort of done in that so many books you read of this sort of type, which I guess would be sort of pop science, really. I, 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 I hesitate to call this pop science, but 
generally that's probably where it falls you know it's made to be readable it's made to be, be sort of accessible but the specific quotes and then an explanation of exactly how how he arrived at the phrasing that he did is brilliant it, it's brilliant to have because it's you know it's all too easy to to say oh well here this study said this therefore this other thing and i really really do appreciate it's just a full expl like in some cases full explanations of yeah so this is what exactly i meant by this sentence yeah which i, I think is really useful um for sort of clarity ultimately and i i really appreciate there's a part in the end where he talks about he's like you'll notice as with my book and with anything greta thunberg says mm -hmm. is that we say probably and might be yeah. and most likely a lot and he was saying like well i'm really paraphrasing here but essentially what i got got from it was he's saying the science might be confusing and you might be looking for d definitives that you're not being given and the reason mm. you're not being given them isn't because of scientific failure is because all of the predictors are human behavior yeah. and human decisions and science can't predict for that mm -hmm. so when people are unclear about how bad it's going to get this book is about how bad it could get mm -hmm. but we don't know because ultimately it's like i was like thinking about it called like the the optional apocalypse yeah <laughs> where it's like good one, yeah. it is an optional thing and there, there were parts of comfort even though it definitely inspired some nihilism in me mm -hmm. like it did you uh, but there are some parts of it that i thought were were really like interesting at the end where he talks about the path we are on as a planet should terrify anyone living on it but thinking like one people all the relevant inputs are within our control so all of the inputs we're putting into this calculation mm. are actually controllable a lot of the solutions are there and that is what's kind of spooky yeah <laughs> in some yeah. ways that's the the specter the kind of ghost like knowledge that's floating above us that isn't hasn't it isn't fictional it is there but we're not actually making it real mm. is the issue yeah no and what i really liked about the book is that at one point he points out that you know there were climate scientists sort of giving predictions constantly and then climate change became you know a partisan sort of political issue right and partisan bipartisan are those synonymous who can say i it, look <laughs> both both sides of the political spectrum disagreed with each other on it okay so the the right wing decided that climate change didn't exist and left wing said that no guy please guy please guys please guys, guys please but what he pointed out there is something that i I don't think it's spoken about enough, and I see it constantly, which is people who are sort of detractors of climate change or deniers of climate change will find anything, any prediction that was wrong and say, well, look, they were wrong about this. And that is so frustrating to me because we're going to make incorrect predictions exactly for the reasons that you know were said in the book, which is we are in complete control of this. So all of these uh, these sort of um, estimations, these uh, these sort of models that are being used the inputs are incredibly variable mm. and ultimately at this point it seems the input is our uh, business as usual or oh, maybe we'll chuck up a nuclear plant or two then take it back down thank you germany <laughs> glad they mentioned that it, it, it you know we can't be definitive about any of this and i think on top of anger which i'll get to in a second on top of anger we need to have that understanding of science you know because mm -hmm. there isn't this public understanding of science that is necessary to really sort of get your head around this problem which is we don't know anything science doesn't prove anything you know sort of really explicitly there's always a little room for error and we're always ready to throw away incorrect ideas and you know 
bring in the new, more correct ones. And when it comes to climate change, because it's one of those things where, you know, we've got one, we've got some inputs now and we've got to see how they're all going to progress over long periods of time. There are so many variables to sort of look into there that we can't be specific. We can't necessarily be absolute in our sort of predictions, but that doesn't make them any less valid or you know, reliable, really. If we get a range from a climate a climate scientist that goes from, ah, oh, well, that's probably going to be really horrible, but fine, to, oh, God, everything is, everything and everyone is dead, right? The entire planet explodes, right? We need to understand that we can't just look at the bottom end of that range mm. because it's probably somewhere in the middle and there's a non-zero chance that it could be somewhere at the top. And that sort of, I guess, lack of understanding of science is really, really critical to this this sort of push against climate change you know that that's how right-wing sort of uh, parties and people specifically you know have managed to convince huge numbers of people that climate change isn't happening or it's not really that big a deal or it's not man-made or you know if it is man-made then we're not going to have that many problems with it or whatever you know like it, it's it, it's really really important that people understand this and i think this book does a great job of that and another thing we were mentioning anger earlier and it, it got me thinking you know you're mentioning sort of just stop oil and whatnot and how this book can give you an understanding of other people anger which might be useful when you interact with those people but also i think that if more people were angry they would be able to direct their anger at the right place because people want to be angry mm. just up oil does a protest and people get angry at just up oil craziest thing i can like i can imagine like honestly like absolutely crazy to me to be mad at these people when ultimately just be mad at the government you know you have people saying like oh look i agree with you know i i agree with them on like sort of climate change and whatnot but ultimately they're i don't agree with their methods okay cool well they wouldn't have to use those methods if the government was like it was listening you know people have burnt themselves and they it was mentioned in this book the sort of um self-immolation in i think it was brooklyn in a park in brooklyn yeah which i'd i'd forgotten about mm. and this book kind of brought back and it made it feel so recent and i was like oh mm. yes people have burnt themselves literally the most painful form of suicide that we know of i think you know self-immolation horrid um i don't want to run that test if there is a more painful no, way yeah no let's not make it a competition <laughs> exactly well first one to find the most painful no um but you know you can self-immolate and nothing will change so yeah be disruptive Yes, destroy art or pretend to destroy art. I don't care if the Mona Lisa's gone because it's going to be fucking gone anyway. Am I allowed to swear? I yeah. did anyway. Oh, yeah. Good. Um, we can't talk about the climate without swearing. <laughs> We've not got to process these emotions. But you know what I mean? Like, I feel like people, it's this complacency. People feel like they care about the climate. People are like, oh, I do some recycling and whatnot. Mm. Um, and so they feel like they care about it, but they don't want to be like shown anything the reason people hate just stop oil is because they're an inconvenience and on top of being an inconvenience they're inconvenient and also dead right so the only thing that you can Nobody be mad at them for that's inconvenient and right no but that's that's why people, people that's yeah. why people hated um yeah. extinction rebellion as well it's like mm -hmm. okay well what can we be mad at them for oh they're stopping working class people from getting to work okay cool do you know what's stopping working class people from getting to work the trains uh not working because the tracks have buckled because of um heat waves which happened last year oh did anyone care about that did anyone get mad at the government for that no 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 let's get mad at individual people because ultimately all we can do is individualize a problem right okay um so what's going on right now for example it's somewhat brought up in this book and it's not super related to climate change but it's tangentially related like sort of the microplastics sort of thing that's going on wherein plastics are just everywhere now yay we love that cool but recycling right recycling is something that most people or a lot of people would do in their homes right but apparently 
in the UK, um, if you were to put a Domino's pizza box or any other pizza provider into your recycling, that could ruin your entire street's recycling. Not because we can't clean these things, but because the UK doesn't have the recycling infrastructure in order to deal with that everywhere. Other countries do have it. We don't have it everywhere. It also means that you need to clean out your own stuff at home. And there's this sort of, you know, it's your carbon footprint. What can you do to solve climate change? And not to be, I guess, doomer about this, but there's fuck all that any of us can do to solve climate change at all as individuals. Mm. Because even if every single one of us went vegan, even if every single one of us, you know, got rid of our cars and started using public transport, even if all of that happened, that's not going to change the people that are really causing this, which are the people that are the heads of those corporations that are um, running the governments that are making these decisions, you know, um, to further push the planet into climate catastrophe. And what we can do as individuals, which again, mentioned in the book, which I, I really, I really love this book because <laughs> it, in a weird way, it it's almost like validating the kind of things I already believe. That's what I mean when I say I didn't come away from it with any sort of revelations. I'm like, it's given me maybe a deeper understanding of these things, but nothing was sort of like, oh, wow, it's just in a really, you know, I like a book that challenges me sometimes. Uh, well, I like a book that challenges me often, but in in a way, this book didn't challenge me, didn't challenge my sort of viewpoint on on the situation because it was already so dire. But um, what, what it was sort of saying about, I guess, uh, that individual aspect is that you need to vote. Like, ultimately, voting is more powerful than going vegan mm. or any other sort of personal thing you can do because this, a single person's impact is minuscule, minuscule compared to the mm. impact of, you know, um, of governments and of, of companies and, and, and whatnot. Most individual people are not the ones deciding to you know, repeal uh, carbon taxes, mm. uh, you know, like they did in Australia. Most individual people aren't doing that. Yeah, but, I was, it was interesting. On the train here, I was listening to an interview with um, the author, Dave, as I'm going to call him now. <laughs> I feel like we're intimate. We've gone through some doom, me and Dave. He was talking about how he actually, I think he eats meat. He mm -hmm. doesn't do anything like, personally. Like, yeah. He doesn't do anything of the thing. He said he doesn't really recycle. Yeah, what, makes sense? <laughs> he doesn't drive. He drives. And all of that, that I like some part of me expected that he would, and not in a way that I think he should, but just that I was like, oh, that's novel that he's being really honest about that. But he said that one of the things that he attributes to a lot of the climate policies changing is public opinion, not mm. public behavior, public opinion. And when those, when those polls go through politicians get really scared and they actually do start pushing through some of these policies not because of any inherent goodness in them but mm -hmm. because they're scared of losing power yeah. and actually I, I think that's one of the values of reading books like this or at least some people in some communities reading books like this and then talking anecdotally about mm. the people they like the people they know a few little facts just seeding that stuff in because I feel like it's a lack of anger and a lack of opinion about it that I feel like mm. is going to kill us not not the not the recycling yeah <laughs> and I think one of the things that actually ignited my anger was trying and i think that's why i'm i still advocate for like doing recycling doing like trying well, I to it, eat yeah less i agree i think it's good practice yeah but i think it's a good practice but i think it's also makes me more angry because it's so hard to do and i'm mm -hmm. sitting there washing out my shitty little tins yeah. and my baked bean tins and getting cut on my thing because i'm trying to clean it as best as possible to not ruin the streets recycling mm. and it makes me angry in a good way because i'm like i am doing Every, look, I'm sitting here like some kind of fool with my scrubby. Mm. So I made sure I bought a scrubby so I can't, so it's not disposable. And I'm like, and, I'm like, and this guy, my MP, is sitting on his ass. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I actually feel like once people start trying to live more ethically within the system, they realize that the system does need to change. And yeah. I think they're, they come hand in hand. 
there's a part of the book that just um, r- reminded me of what you were saying and also links back to Halloween. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. They talk about like why political depression is important. Oh, um, yeah. Zombies don't feel sad and they oh. certainly don't feel he- helpless. They just are. Political depression is, at its root, the experience of a creature that is being prevented from being itself. Yeah, Uh, it's good. And I think that's the thing. What you're referring to is like anger isn't necessarily a bad emotion to have. Mm -hmm. And I think like in some ways when you were like, oh, this book made me really angry. I was like, oh, no, I've made Corey read a book that's just made him sad and angry. Like, oh, why did I do that? But then also I think it's this fear of feeling negative emotions. And we all Mm -hmm. all talk about like we should all go to therapy and we should do this. Mm -hmm. And I'm like part of part of that mindset is also getting a little bit angry and not being scared of that anger and yeah there's anger anger is useful it and i think for me i was like trying to think of like how i'd summarize this book and i'm like oh it was kind of it it's basically for me it was the mary poppins of like climate books because it's like the no nonsense like right that's enough of that yeah like stop focusing on these things like don't be an idiot like let's focus on the big problems let's not fuss about and like we just need to clean the room yeah <laughs> doesn't matter how it happens if it happens to my magic great i don't know what this analogy is or where it's no, going, i like it I, I like I'm, it though I'm, of the just like the no nonsense like get angry mm-hmm. and then do something yeah. because ultimately i actually find that quite calming no i get you done. you have to experience the anger and it actually you get calmer on the other end of it whereas before i think i was just experiencing climate anxiety mm-hmm. i feel like i'm going through the anger and i'm coming out again as as weirdly calm well no I, I think that makes sense because ultimately i think what's going on here is and again this is discussed in the book i i really the more i'm talking about this book the more i'm realizing that i love it and you know i've got a few different things to say from what you've just said there so yeah, yeah. strap in i'm sorry i'm ready but um initially you know i think what's going on there is that you know you've got complacency right complacency is is this is is what's plaguing i think most people when it comes to climate right now which is they're aware that it's a problem and that feels bad we don't want to feel bad emotions so we avoid it by not thinking about it set it aside right we get complacent but ignoring that anxiety and you know trying to just get rid of it and feel good despite it is never going to solve the problem. What you're saying about going to therapy there, going to therapy is not avoiding negative emotions. You don't go to your therapist and say, I feel anxious. Um, Can we just talk about happy things today? No, you go to your therapist, you talk about deep, difficult stuff, and you work through it. And the anger, I think, is working through that. Until you stare it in the face, stare the, the sheer sort of magnitude of this problem. And also the solvability of it. it it can be it can be solved and you know I, i'll be somewhat flippant in my language here pretty easily right like relatively speaking like pretty easily in and the book mentions as well you know we've got the we've got the resources we need to stop um you know water shortages across the world mm-hmm. we've got the resources we need to stop uh, food insecurity i think this book i think it must have been this book or maybe i was reading it somewhere else but i'm pretty sure it was this book mentioned that uh you know a, a few of the billionaires of the world could club together not even spend all of their money and solve world hunger or sorry solve hunger in the u.s a few of them can do that wow. um and yeah that that's that's possible so we do have the tools to solve the problem uh, we just we're just not doing it and getting angry at that i think is the first step to solving it because as you're saying politicians don't care about anything except for getting elected so that means that they're going to avoid making people feel negative and climate change makes people feel negative but if you go to them with that sort of anger what are you why are you not doing anything That'll make them start doing it. You know, for example, recycling. We should have recycling plants in the UK. Oh, we've got a shortage of jobs or whatever. Oh, cool. Make recycling plants work better. Oh, should we really be washing and sorting all this stuff at home? No, maybe that could be 
part of that industry. That could just be a job. You know, there you go. Oh, we don't need people working in supermarkets anymore because we have, you know, like the computers that do it. We just have a couple people working there. That's fine. Have those people go and sort stuff at the recycling plant. Mm. There are jobs that can come of this. If we're looking at looking at it from a sort of um, economic lens, yes, the, we can we can make this viable. And it mm. says that in the book as well. There was a, there was a sort of number there that I found incredibly interesting it was the cost of and i'll paraphrase this the cost of switching to greener energy and preparing for sort of um the effects of climate change is negative it was Mm -hmm. like i think negative 70 trillion or something right as in we would actually make money by doing it yes we have to spend money to make those changes but in the long run we're actually making money so the cost is negative when you think about it um I, i find that sort of really not just interesting but important to think about we're always being told oh the cost of this the cost of that the cost is kind of relevant because cost is fake it is a made-up idea and it's not going to mean anything if we don't do something about it now so cost being a barrier is insane right now really insane especially when you know um i was going to say earlier when it comes to sort of this focus on individual action what can an individual do not very much because you know let's say meat Everyone stops eating meat. Yes, these companies would probably, well, not everyone, if more people stopped eating meat, right? These companies would probably have to reduce their meat production or they'd find other uses for it or whatever, or they'd start to go under. And what's going to happen then? Are they going to go bust? Are they going to pivot and do something else? No, they'll probably just get subsidies, more mm-hmm. subsidies, because meat is more expensive to produce. Like, cat- like, categorically speaking, there is no world in which meat can be less expensive than plants mm. it, it, it just it, it it is physically impossible for that to be the case because for one thing to make meat you need plants mm. right so f- oh, you already need to grow plants okay not all of those plants are going to be plants that humans can get the full use of but you need to grow a lot of plants to feed a lot of animals and then you're going to take those animals and feed them to people and along the way those animals have got to grow they've got to move they've got heat escaping from them they're losing a ton of that energy so there's energy lost at each stage if we just cut out the middleman, the animals, you know, it, it's always going to be less expensive and less um, energy intensive and less labor intensive to just produce plants for people to eat, right? And that's something that we could do. But unfortunately, the companies that produce meat, they're in bed with the government. So whenever something happens, they could be like, oh, well, can we just get more money, please? Um, we, we want more we money. We didn't do our maths properly. Sorry. Sorry, guys. <laughs> didn't oh, do my homework. You know how capitalism means that if your business doesn't work, it fails? Yeah, we don't like that for us. Can, can we just have some money? You know, <laughs> I don't like how that tastes. Well, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I think I think the book um, really, it really digs into this sort of myth of personal responsibility. And I like that you mm-hmm. mentioned, you know, that, um, that Dave, or Davey Boy, doesn't actually do much himself. Because another thing brought up in the book that I really, um, I really liked, again, this book is, it, it's so... It, it's quite it's quite short you know it's a few hundred pages like 200 pages uh, but it really manages to touch on a lot of stuff and the one thing that i found really interesting not the one thing one of the many things i found really interesting was the sort of hypocrisy he brought up hypocrisy which is something that's levied against anyone that wants to talk about climate change you know oh well you go on to this morning to talk about it <laughs> um where are your clothes from are you vegetarian yourself gotcha gotcha Ooh, <laughs> the system is broken but are you not living in the system Ooh, i'm very smart yeah he brings up the idea of hypocrisy and ultimately he, he says yeah no it doesn't matter it, it doesn't matter it, it, this this idea of oh well you're not doing everything you can so we shouldn't listen to you is absolute nonsense because ultimately 
no one individual doing everything they can is going to change anything because if you stop eating meat, the meat companies are still going to be, you know, getting subsidized. They're still going to be harming the planet. If you don't buy fast fashion, those they're still going to be doing something, you know what I mean, mm. to um, impact the planet because ultimately it's it's not really the consumer's fault. It's not on the consumer. It's on the companies that are basically doing their best to trick consumers, to get them addicted, to literally get into little pathways in their brain mm. that are set up, you know, from when we were little like monkey men wanting to find fruit and stuff, you know, they hijack those and say, yep, you need our products now. That's yeah. that's their goal. Um, and they're always going to do that. And they're always going to seek profit above anything else. So putting it on a consumer to, you know, solve the climate crisis by buying the right things is nonsense. And again, it's specifically brought up in the book um, just before he goes on to say, yeah, no, voting is it's this sort of neoliberal idea that consumer buying power is is one of the most influential things when realistically your your vote is is much more sort of influential than mm. your dollar is what the book says yeah you know? and i think it's about this that in, interesting like tension between impact and just like morality where i'm like i'm i i know that you're vegan i'm vegetarian i'm trying mm. to be as close to vegan as possible well we're pretty close right now <laughs> Yeah, we're <laughs> oh, I just got the joke. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> and then I was like, physically because close. we're physically, we're close physically close Oh my god, I'm close to a vegan. It's fine. It's <laughs> the closest I've ever been. I'm not getting any closer. <laughs> um, but like, I think that I'm, I'm becoming, I'm sticking to a vegetarian diet, not because I think it's going to have the most impact of anything I do in my life. I don't think that's where my high impact could come. But because I'm like. I actually just think it's wrong <laughs> mm. on a really boring like I don't want to do it because it's wrong but I'm like I just think that it's I think there's a difference between like morality and impact yeah and I think it's interesting because he says he literally says this on page six I am not an environmentalist and I don't even think of myself as a nature person yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of the time we think of people who care as being people who are like nerds nature nerds people mm-hmm. who are like really into whales or whatever and it's like no like I think there's the, the selfish impulse in humans is actually a, a source of optimism for me because yeah. I'm like, it's going to be more profitable. Yeah. You're going to get to live. Yeah. It makes more sense. Everybody likes being right. Yes. <laughs> you could be right and be an environmentalist. Like there's a lot of things in the, the, like, the, that I see in the characteristics of people who run the meat industry or mm-hmm. some of the like dark politics or some of the, some of the horrible people that are running, uh, uh, driving this thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I see that energy. And I can like I'm, we can use that energy that that need to be right that yeah. need to self preserve that need to be the most efficient you can ever be. I'm like that is actually the kind of initiative we can transform and use for good in the climate movement if if we can persuade them. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's really interesting, right? Like capitalism is very much a problem, and it was brought up in the book, and I was worried at the beginning. You know, I was kind of going into it like. I don't know if this is going to be a very liberal sort of view on it, but he very much says, yeah, no, capitalism is a problem here in insofar as it is providing the incentive for people to do this, right? Like ultimately, yes, humans are selfish, but capitalism is a system wherein it incentivizes that selfishness. It really like compounds it. So you have people acting against the best interests of everyone on the planet so that they can be rich for... I'm looking at my watch here and probably about, you know, what, 20 more years? I don't know. Like, like, you know, they they can be rich and then they'll die, but they'll leave the world so much worse off. It's mad. But yeah, no, I think that capitalism being a big part of that problem, as you're saying, is also kind of hopeful because 
there is there is sort of value in the feelings that people have got there if we direct them in the right way and to sort of bring it back to that just stop oil thing that we were talking about where people are really really angry at just stop oil that is kind of good mm. like i'm saying they've got the anger that's great good now just read this book so that you understand where you need to direct your anger because people are angry mm. and they should be angry I just, I just think that people, more people need the understanding um, of how much this is going to impact them. Because ultimately, I think your general person understands that climate change is kind of a thing, but is probably still stuck to the idea that they had of it back when they sort of first learned about it. Like, I'd imagine most people that learned about sort of climate change in school are still thinking about, you know, what they were taught in school as being true. You know, that that kind of, that rings true for so many things. That's why so many people are saying, oh, it's basic biology when it comes to trans people and whatnot, right? You know, um, people will default to the knowledge that they kind of first had, and it's really hard to change that from people's brains. So climate change before was a big problem, but also so far in the future and not really causing, you know, like it, it, we, we could solve it if mm. we just all just kind of hunger down and, get things solved like in in good time we'll whatever up our sleeves exactly. and, and dig for england and yeah. plant some cabbages it'll be fine yeah the deadline's coming but it, it's it's weeks away we're fine don't <laughs> worry we'll get it started soon but it it's much it's coming much sooner and it's happening already and i i think that that is something that uh, people don't seem to really um get and i personally didn't understand the true extent of it until reading this book and i think that's the really valuable thing yes the first few chapters are horrific they're so hard to get through because it's relentless in just telling you all of this devastation and and pointing out yeah this is on us you know this is on us as a species this is not just the way of things it's climate change it's not coming it's here it has been here um and it's not about trying to stave it off it's about trying to stop it as quickly as possible and see if we can maybe reverse it because we're already in the thick of it. Um, and I don't think people really get that because, you know, people like hot summers, but um, they're not going to like hot summers when sea levels rise and when summers become so hot in other parts of the country, uh, other parts of the world, that crops fail. Um, and then there are more migrants, which we know the British people do love, but, um, you know, um, it, it's not going to be all sunshine and daisies. It's mostly going to be sunshine um, in a bad way. Um, and, like, you know, I don't think people get that. People yeah. are angry, but they need to know what to be angry at. I think. Definitely. And I think as well, like what's interesting, like about thinking about the sheer scale of human history and then how fast things have amped up in that I learned that actually Google just turned 25. Yeah. <laughs> I'm older than Google. Mm. What's happening? And I think that the kind of power that human organizations can wield in a very short amount of time, again, very sinister but also really hopeful because mm. i'm i i sometimes just wonder at how smart some people are and how creative humans can be and how um those those things are actually like there are there are ways that 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 kind of system can be engineered for good and i think that i, I don't know because i can't just because you can't imagine something being solved mm -hmm. doesn't mean that it's not not going to be and at what pace that is going to happen and i completely recognize all of the reasons for doom <laughs> yeah because it's completely plausible and anybody using any reason and any kind of predicting me methods can imagine apocalypse very very fast and very very soon yeah. but i think we are also predisposed to not imagine the good side of it if it works which it may not because humans are also really good at procrastinating <laughs> yeah i mean i would say honestly even even if doom is inevitable mm. enjoy your time 
Yeah. Right? Don't there's I I I'm not saying sort of, you know, uh, ignore all of this and just have fun. What I'm saying is if thinking about this is causing a detriment to your experience as a person, that's bad. That's mm. a bad thing. Um and yes, this is a, a problem. It's a massive massive problem, but ultimately you know, as I was saying earlier, human experience is really all we've got. And we need to, you know, do our best to try and enjoy our time here, even if things are bleak, yeah. you know. So don't let sort of, it's very much easier said than done, but don't let climate anxiety take over your life still you've you still got to try and enjoy yourself even if the world is coming to an end you know because mm. when the world end, like when the world ends regardless of whether it's in you know 20 years 100 years or 10 billion years in the future right no matter when the human race comes to an end it's not really gonna make a difference to you right mm. ultimately on the grand in on the grand scale even if you were to die at the same time as the entirety of the human race that's no different to you than you dying and the human race continuing on, right? So, in terms of like consciousness, and yeah, in terms of consciousness, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like you know, you're not going to be around after your death, as far as we're aware, to experience the rest of human history. So, you know, mm. if the world is going to end, sure, but remember, nothing matters. You find your own value, <laughs> and look, nihilism can be really useful. Nothing yeah, matters. Yeah, I think so as, I think as well, can. it's like that thing of like trying to use science and knowledge to be kinder to everybody mm. in that mm. i want to pre mentally prepare people for a world in which we won't have cars in 10 years and like making sure that's not a shock to people's systems mm. and like being like oh i want to keep eating meat and i'm like i just don't think it's going to be there so yeah. i need you to be get good at cooking now <laughs> yeah because honestly you might get meat once a year and you'll enjoy it and i'm not saying you have to ch change your sacred christmas dinner but i'm just saying that it's not going to be in your you're not basically not going to be able to get a blt every day for lunch so yeah. like no. emotionally preparing people for the losses not only of big things and big cultural things but also for the small things just being like i just don't think it's going to be the same and that's <sighs> okay it's not okay but like but it will be but yeah. You know, like it will be. And I think it's interesting when you talk about like, oh, the world will end and then you're like, the human race will end and we so synonymously link those together where we're like, the world is ending, humans are ending. Yeah. Different things. No, different things, yeah. But we refer to them as the same. Yeah. Because for, because our, for to us, us, yeah. I, I am the world because yeah. I live in my ego and I live in my head and if I'm dead, the world's dead. Yeah, exactly. Right? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know, but it's, it's sorry, it's it's interesting, right? Like it, it, it all kind of ties together in that same way and I just want to say one last thing on what you're saying about, you know, learn to cook sort of thing. Um, Vegan food isn't bad. You're just bad at cooking. There you go. Amen. I think that <laughs> is the it. takeaway of this whole episode. It's, it's you. It's not them. It's it's you. Um, and by which that I mean me. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I usually ask people at the end of each episode whether they would recommend this book to anyone and who that might be. Now, we've already had some complicated feelings about that within the mm. episode. But is there any... I think that I would recommend this to... Um, somebody who uh, struggles to see the magnitude of things and has a little bit of time to sit down and really get through the first... I'd say you really need to get through the first 30% like in one sitting because I think that it can be a lot to drag mm -hmm. over a long period of time. But I definitely would recommend it to the people who are struggling to like actually feel it. Like They know mm -hmm. it, but they don't feel it and they can't contextualise it. Who would you recommend it to? Yeah, um, I agree with you, by the way. I did this mostly in sort of a couple really big sittings mm. um, to reading it all. Uh, but I would sort of recommend it, I think, to people who are angry at 
Extinction Rebellion and Just Stop Oil. People who say, you know, I, you know, I agree with fighting climate change and I agree generally with these groups, but I don't agree with their methods. I would, I would recommend it to that kind of person. If you are someone that is aware of climate change, you know, wants to make the effort and sort of doesn't, doesn't see what these groups do as far too extreme. I don't even think you need to read it. Like, it'd be good Mm -hmm. to read it. I think people should read it. But like, you are not the person that needs to read it most. I think the people that need to read this book are the people that, you know, don't understand the scale, but think of themselves as being, you know, generally anti-climate change. So if you have to exist in a space with somebody like that, you could read it for them and then quote stuff at them. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not even joking. <laughs> it's like, also genuinely. like good ad- ammo for people who are like, well, just paint all the roofs white because that will that will reflect the sun. Yeah, I'll do something, <laughs> but... Uh, but seriously, no, like, I'm not joking. Like, if you've got someone who is in... I'm probably going to start doing this. If you've got someone who does have that kind of viewpoint, I think this book genuinely could change minds mm. because it, it's not preachy. It's very matter of fact, and it starts off with, you know, for someone that's in their, you know, let's say 40s, 50s, perhaps older, it's almost a timeline of all of these events that they're going to remember. You know, Katrina, Mm. um, Irma, uh, I'm just naming women. Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. But no, do you know what I mean? It's going to be all these events, and it, it will contextualize those events in a way that they've probably not experienced before. And I think that is really key to that change, because... Ultimately, I don't think people who deny climate change are out against uh, groups fighting against climate change. I don't think they're inherently necessarily bad people or, you know, really evil or whatever. I don't think that fully exists. I I think they're ignorant or um, sort of tied to their own biases, which is in some ways not necessarily their fault. Uh, But I think this book really, it really puts into perspective in a straightforward way, just Mm. a very plain, look, this is how it is. This is the situation. We can do something or not, but ultimately, here's what's going to happen. And I I think that, I think that could be really useful. Uh, So, you know, I would recommend it to people who think they care about climate, but you don't think they care about it enough. Yeah, (laughs) really, definitely. And I think it's also that kind of thing of being like, if you need some uh, useful anger for the optional apocalypse. Mm. This that's is a good source. that's a really good that's a did you come up with that yourself i, I don't know brains who what is the self Corinne? Oh. aren't we all connected do i even have the ability they're two words that i didn't make up i think i put them together no i just say because i feel like that we should be using that that's like maybe that's, that's the book like, then, maybe i'll it. write you one do the it. optional go apocalypse it. go for it please is that are you writing a book on is that what this no. is that what's going on oh absolutely not we don't have time <laughs> we don't have time for me to write a book me specifically where can people find you on the internet they can find me at not cory everywhere you can also find my podcast sci guys at sci guys pod or at sci guys depending on the platform and uh, that's about it really that's great and you can listen to the episode on pcos that we did together where you can hear about my lady beard what is a lady beard Let's unpack that. <laughs> <laughs>